Yes, that's right. The Chief Zone Podcast is back. Thank you guys for listening to the podcast. I'm your host, Farzine Vasugi, and thank you for listening to another episode of the Chief Zone Podcast. Sorry that this episode came out late, uh, but luckily you guys do have all of Sunday to listen to this. Uh, since the Chiefs don't play until Sunday night, we're previewing the big Sunday night matchup between the Chiefs and the Steelers. Max Shepman joins me in just a moment. You'll hear my conversation with him as we touch on the Chiefs and the Steelers, give our predictions from there. And then, uh, of course, we'll go around the NFL, go out of bounds, and I'll throw my penalty flags in this podcast. Uh, we'll, we'll get right into the conversation I, I had with Max Shepman real quickly. Uh, let's just get right into it. Facebook.com slash Sportscaster Farzine or search my name Farzine Musugian on Facebook. Give it a like and uh, let's have our conversations on there. As always, uh, you guys are always upbeat uh, and I even tend to go. It used to be the Chief Zone on Facebook, but I change it just to have it more generic. Uh, it is dominated mostly by Chiefs discussion, but uh, we've always been talking uh, other sports as well. So it's nice to have that on there so please do like the facebook page also follow me on twitter at farzine 21 and also send me a snapchat at farzine v f-a-r-z-i-n-v and if you guys send me a snapchat let me know you're listening to the podcast you're watching other nfl games or you're watching the chiefs game, whatever it may be i'll send you guys a personal personalized video response on snapchat all right it's time to talk to max shepman uh, as i tease in the last podcast max is the former host of the Steel Pit Podcast. And I mentioned this on the last episode. Max and I, uh, we had our podcast uh, originated from a website called thesportsstuff.com, ran by uh, Dylan Richardson. Shout out to Dylan. I still keep in touch with him. Cool dude overall. Uh, he's doing big things as well on his own, freelancing with uh, videography and all. Uh, but Max, uh, he, he's also been busy as well. We had him on last year to pre- preview the Chiefs and Steelers game. Last year at Arrowhead, the two teams are going to play again, this time at Pittsburgh and on primetime on Sunday Night Football. Uh, and Max is here to join us on the Chiefs Zone Podcast. Max, welcome back, man. How are you? Hey, buddy. I'm good. I, uh, I appreciate you having me on again. Yeah, last time uh, last time we did this, our score predictions didn't end up well. So hopefully uh, we have a better round. <laughs> no, uh, I, I think we both had a reason. I, 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 don't, I think some people thought the Chiefs could have pulled that off because Landry Jones was playing and even then Landry Jones did look good against that Chiefs team uh because the Chiefs were just I mean last year was just crazy you and I talked about this before the before we got the podcast rolling uh last year was crazy but uh I don't think you realize what I just did Max because I have tricked you into bringing into you bring bring you into this podcast because last year when I when I had you you were a good luck charm the Chiefs beat the Steelers they went on went to a 10 in a row 11 if you include the first playoff win for the Chiefs in 22 years. And now I have you back on the podcast, so the Chiefs are not only going to win, but they're going to win the rest of the season. So I just tricked you into bringing you on to the podcast. Well, I'm really going to have to start declining these you know, podcast invitations by you. <laughs> if, that, if, that's the way these, if that's the way these things play out, I'm just going to have to start saying no and just, and just like text you my opinion on these things. <laughs> I'll just read your texts on the podcast. No, that's how I'll have to do it. Uh, no, no, no. It's fun to talk football with you. Um, I, I know you're a really busy guy. Uh, you've had a lot going on this week, which I do want to touch on a little bit with what happened with the Marlins and uh, and Jose Fernandez. But before we touch on that, real quickly, let everyone know uh, what do you do? What media outlets are you with? I know you're, you're doing TV and radio down in uh, South Florida. Uh, let everyone know what you do and how they can follow you on Twitter. 
Right, yeah, I work for ESPN West Palm, which is an ESPN outlet here in West Palm Beach, Florida. I am a reporter and um, photog for the local NBC and Fox stations as well. You know, we cover high school football and, and professional and college sports. Um, I am on Twitter. You can follow me at MadMax1063. That's the Twitter handle. Um, so, yeah, you know, just covering sports on a daily basis like you, my friend, and, uh, you know, blessed to do it. Yeah, absolutely, and I'll I'll say that I mean some of the, I brought this podcast back last year after leaving six ten sports radio for a, a better job with the Royals. Hey, you know the the toughest thing about that, and I haven't opened up too much about this on the podcast, and I don't mind sharing this. It's it's that when I was working at six ten, it, it was a part time gig, and during the evening because I, I work multiple jobs, I actually worked three jobs earlier this year, also working for the Kansas City Star, freelancing for them actually for a little bit. But man, it, it, the toughest part about this industry is having to move out to that small town. I think you live kind of like small town area. I know you're not necessarily in Miami directly, but you kind of live on that border. So you're, you're not too far away from the suburbs, but also kind of in that small town media outlet. I mean, it's a tough thing to do. It's not something I was willing to do, but I'm still involved with sports media in a way. I still do the podcast, which I love and enjoy doing. Uh, but, but but you've done a great job with it as well. One of the things you've been so busy with is the whole Jose Fernandez story. Uh, the I Like I mentioned earlier, I'm working for the Royals media production. Uh, I mean, we had a moment of silence for him. It's been talked about a lot uh, nationally, uh, just, just the story with him, his mother, everything he has gone through. And uh, not only that, but the upset potential he had. I, I'm curious because we don't cover these things in sports often. We're talking about the score, the the wins, the losses. I know in Kansas City we went through this uh, with Javon Belcher. Uh, it was a, a more dramatic wave with what had happened. But uh, what was that like for you? Because this, this is not something people in sports media cover often. No, not really. And... and... Not only did it, you know, this really affect the people in South Florida, but, you know, for me personally, you know, I was able to co- cover Jose Fernandez for, for a few years during spring training. He was, he was such a super nice guy. Uh, he really didn't talk to the media that much, but when he did, you know, he always made time, you know, for us media, uh, took extra questions, and, and really every time, you know, he started to answer a question, you know, it was always such a nice smile, and he was such a nice guy, and and uh, very professional, and yeah, I mean, you look what he what he did on the field. There was no doubt, you know, he was one of the best pitchers in the game, not just a young pitcher, but one of the best in the game. And and you know, I talked to a couple, you know, former major leaguers, you know, in the area, and and they, you know, said the same thing. He was such a nice guy, and you know, he he really brought the joy of playing baseball back, uh, you know, for the sport. And a lot of people idolized him, and, and kind of watching, you know, his funeral process here the past couple of days and just seeing how many people that didn't necessarily know Jose Fernandez on a personal level, but him uh, idolizing of what, you know, the things he had to go through to get to this country and, be, and to get where he was at uh, really, you know, opened pathways for other people, and especially the, you know, the um, Latino American community. It's just, you know, yeah. people, idol, people idolize him and you could see just how many people, you know, you know, showed up to say a final goodbye to him. Yeah, and uh, his name escapes me right now, but the uh, Noah Syndergaard, I think he wrote a tweet saying how he usually writes something funny, something goofy out on the mound uh, before or after every game, but it's like, hey, this is not the time to do it. And the uh, the class shown by um, 
by, by, by the Mets and, and everyone across Major League Baseball. It, it was really nice to see uh, Marlins man, who, who's, who's a huge Kansas City and all of a sudden, um, he's come out to a ton of games uh, here in Kansas City, and people here love him. Uh, I saw his video on social media about how those guys got together in midfield, and uh, it was a really nice touching moment for uh, for, for everyone uh, at that game, and especially for the Marlins, uh, you know, Fernandez's family and everyone else there. Uh, I do have to ask because he's be- like I mentioned, he's kind of become a household guy here in Kansas City. He's definitely it feels like a local celebrity, but. Marlins, man, what's what's the perception of him in the Miami area? He's a superstar. See, because see, some people, he's hated in certain places. I don't know if you follow him on Facebook or Twitter, but he once got death threats at a Cleveland Indians game and was chased out. He's been to Chiefs games. He's been to Royals games. And he has nothing but nice things to say about Kansas Cityans. I just wasn't sure if he came off annoying by his own hometown people, but, but it seems like people love him. From what I know, everybody, you know, tend to enjoy, you know, his presence at Marlins games. I, I do understand, you know, people kind of get, you know, upset with him about, you know, him traveling Major League Baseball and him checking out all these games. But uh, for, you know, what I see, I, I, you know, I really don't see any problems, you know, people hating on Marlins, man. I mean, how could you? Yeah, especially his story. Uh, I, I I know he's rich. I know he's got uh, he's got a lot with uh, in, investments and whatnot. But I just didn't realize how rich he is. Uh, for people who live in Kansas City, he lives he uh, he buys tickets at Crown Club, which is basically like the first five rows where they have VIP. I mean, you get a ser- server that, that'll bring you drinks, food, all you can eat, and all that good stuff. Uh, he he's purchased so many of those tickets here in Kansas City. I guess he's 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 not rich. I mean, this guy's loaded. Uh, but but he's a fun guy. I, I've never had a chance to meet him. I hope to one day. Uh, I don't know if you ever have, but he seems like a really cool dude. Uh, definitely seems like someone who you'd like to sit down and have a beer with and uh, talk sports with. But uh, let's move on and uh, preview this Chiefs and uh, Steelers matchup because this is a pretty big one for both teams. Uh, I mean, a lot is on the line, especially after the. Week four point of the season for the Chiefs, they're going into a bye week, so they definitely don't want to think about a loss for two weeks before they visit the Oakland Raiders for a division matchup. But uh, you know, the, the Steelers always have high standards, especially with the uh, number of championships that this team has. Uh, I, I'm kind of curious with your perception of the Pittsburgh Steelers season so far up to this point going into Sunday night. Uh, I think it's been expected. Uh, the results have been what people have. Expected. I mean, opening up the season, uh, you know, Monday night against the Redskins, that was kind of a an easy game for them. Uh, the Bengals game, maybe not as as I guess fancy as a game that people want. Obviously, the weather conditions played a huge role in that, but they're uh, able to you know take down a division rival in week two. Uh, I think the Eagles game last week where they lost thirty four to three. I think that really caught some eyes of people. Uh, just, you know, how could they get blown out to the Philadelphia Eagles and a rookie quarterback in Carson Wentz? Uh, I mean, just everything in that game was off. Offense, defense, special teams, uh, just everything. So I, I think I think everything up to last week has kind of been on par of what Steeler fans have expected. But like I said, it's it's definitely a tough question mark after, after the beatdown in Philadelphia last week. Joel Charles might be available for this game. Andy Reid said... Uh, well, he hinted that there could be a better chance that he's available this game. Uh, but again, you never know, uh, especially with what head coaches say, whether or not they're just trying to throw a smoke screen, whatnot. And Jamal Charles, I mean, there have been cases, even in the past, where I remember uh, going into 
uh, week three against the Miami Dolphins in 2014 where he was practicing before the game in warmups and then he was inactive because of his injury. So Jamal Charles always seems ready, but uh, there are times where the Chiefs just have to hold him off, especially with a bye week coming up. It'll give him an extra week of rest. So I'm kind of curious whether or not they consider letting him stay on the sideline, especially with what Chuck Hendrick West and Spencer Ware have been able to do over the past, what, almost one year uh, ever since Jamal Charles got injured. But uh, Marcus Peters, uh, he's been dealing with an illness, did not practice for most of this week. Uh, Jamal Charles, I mentioned limited participation. Tom Mahali hasn't practiced, but that's normal protocol, nothing out of the ordinary. Uh, Philip Gaines, the other cornerback, dealing with a knee injury in the Chiefs. Uh, they've been banging up at the offensive line spot so far this year. Ja Reed, uh, Laurent Duvernay-Tardif, Parker Inniger, uh, a lot of injuries all across the board. So it's been kind of tough for the Kansas City Chiefs. But same thing for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, there might be five or six starters for the Steelers that will not be able to suit up on Sunday night. Uh, give me your take on the Pittsburgh Steelers and what they might look like without some of their key key players going into this big match. Well, you brought it up, man. There's about five starters, both on offense and defense, who Mike Tomlin, uh, quote-unquote, said they are very questionable uh, heading into this week's game. Uh, probably the biggest one that stands out is linebacker Ryan Chazier. He's dealing with a knee injury. A uh, report came out earlier uh, today saying he's unlikely to play, and I think that could be the biggest blow. I mean, obviously, when Ryan Chazier is healthy, he is – Maybe one of the best linebackers in the NFL. Not only you know can he can he play the run well, but he can also uh, cover tight ends well, and you know that could have a big effect on tr- a guy like Travis Kelsey. Um, you know, Lawrence Simmons is, is still a good linebacker. You know, he plays the middle well, but he's not as fast and doesn't uh, play pass coverage as well as a guy like Ryan Chase here. So, you know, the Chiefs could look to exploit that. You have Sean Davis, uh, second round draft pick. From this past draft, uh, he's doubtful with a back injury, so that could open up uh, Jordan Dangerfield. He's never made an uh, NFL start, so, you know, a rookie uh, in the secondary, that could open up things. Uh, and on the offensive line, you know, Ramon Foster, he's their starting right guard, uh, doubtful with a chest injury. Uh, so you And B.J. Finney, their second string um Guard suffered a finger injury in practice. So, I mean, you're looking at a third-string right guard on the offensive line who, who you know, has seen little to none playing time out there. So it could have a big effect. You look Again, you're looking about five starters that, are, that don't look to see the field here on Sunday night. Well, there is some good news in Le'Veon Bell coming back, which I'll get to in just a moment. But that defense, uh, man, I don't know what it is. I mean, people in Kansas City have – Talked about how the Steelers are nicknamed Blitzburg, but uh, that's that's not a that's not the case for the Steelers this year. Only one sack, the fewest. And look, here in Kansas City, we we, we went through that. I believe in two thousand eight, when the Chiefs had, I think nine sacks, which was the fewest in NFL history. And you definitely don't want to break that record if you're the Pittsburgh Steelers. But they they might be on. They might break Kansas City's record, which. Of course, Chiefs fans would, would gladly give that up, but, I mean, what's been the deal with Pittsburgh's pass rush this year? Well, when you think of, when you think of Blitzburg, you think of outside linebackers that are able to rush a quarterback. You know, you think of a guy like Joey Porter, uh, a James Harrison back in his prime. You know, you, you look at the, the linebacker position, and they really don't have that anymore. I mean, James Harrison isn't an every-down player. 
Uh, obviously, you know, he's getting, you know, older, so that, that has a toll on him. Uh, even though, you know, you see on Instagram him, you know, benching like six million pounds on, uh, on a daily basis. But, you know, uh, I'm ready to call, you know, Jarvis Jones and Bud Dupree first round bust. They, they just haven't developed as quickly as Sealer fans would like, and I'm sure as the coaches would like as well. And you look at the defensive line, I mean, sure, Stephon Tewitt and Cameron Hayward, they're great players, but they're not built to rush the quarterback. And also, it's the system that, you know, they play. They play a soft zone coverage, and they rarely play man. So, you know, that kind of opens up to, you know, less pass rushers. I mean, they do try to throw the occasional blitz in there. But when quarterbacks see that they're playing such a soft zone coverage, they're able to get the, the ball out quickly, and, you know, that takes away any pass rush. And when you continue to do that on a constant basis, it, it just wears out pass rushers, and, you know, by the time – you know, maybe the sixth, seventh play of the drive, you know, happens. These guys are out of gas. Le'Veon Bell, like I mentioned, uh, is activated. Is he expected to play? He is expected to play. He is expected to start okay. uh, over over D'Angelo Williams. Uh, Mike Tomlin uh, expects to get him going early, and he should, he should be ready to go after, uh, you know, three-game suspension. Yeah, yeah, and uh, by the way, the suspension uh, has to do with the league substance abuse policy, which we could go on about this and the misunderstanding and the miscommunication that happens with that. I, I, that happened with Dwayne Bow uh, in two thousand nine or two thousand. Oh no, no, it was two thousand nine, uh, the first year under Todd Haley. But uh, yeah, I mean, it, it is uh, it is funny because if I'm not mistaken, I think both Jamal Charles and Le'Veon Bell missed last year's game when these two teams met, and with Le'Veon Bell back and maybe Jamal Charles playing now these two teams are going to play and we could definitely see something and let's not forget uh, the the Steelers didn't have Ben Roethlisberger at the time either uh so this is going to be an interesting mix a definitely different matchup that we're going to see for one it's going to be at Pittsburgh uh and and I think the uh, location can definitely play a factor but also having uh Roethlisberger out there both Charles and Bell on the field. I think it definitely will bring an interesting mix. Uh, the Steelers did release Daryl Richardson on Thursday uh, to allow Bell to be part of the 53-man roster. So I think that's an indication that he'll definitely be available. But as you mentioned, D'Angelo Williams, who, who's, who's done a solid job, but that Steelers rushing offense definitely has room to grow. And with Le'Veon Bell, I, I think it can only get better against the Chiefs' rush defense that hasn't necessarily been horrible, but hasn't been great either. Uh, more bad than good when it comes to running the ball against the Chiefs. But uh, it, it, this is probably an area where uh, the Steelers could do some damage. Don't you think so? Oh, absolutely. And just uh, just to clarify things, Le'Veon Bell actually did play in last year's meeting. Uh, I think he ran over for 100 yards. So. Oh, okay. Uh, uh, but, yeah, I mean, I think, I think Le'Veon just brings such a different dimension in the backfield. He's, he's, a, he's a different runner than – you know, D'Angelo Williams, he's much more patient. He waits for his, his blocks to develop. And, and I think he's, he's even a bigger threat out of the backfield. Um, you know, he's able to come out of the backfield, sit in, the, in, in that soft zone in the middle of the field, uh, and, and he, can, he can make people miss. I think that's one big thing that, that separates Le'Veon and D'Angelo Williams. I mean, sure, D. Will, you know, can make a few guys miss, but not the way, you know, Le'Veon, though. He, he can juke uh, defenders out of a telephone box. And, and I think that's what's going to be key here is just having, you know, that receiving threat out of the backfield that, that adds that dimension to, to the Steelers' offense that, you know, D'Angelo Williams just doesn't have 
uh, to Le'Veon Bell says. Max Chapman is here with us. He's the former host of the Steel Pit podcast. He does some work in the Miami area for ESPN 106.3 and also for WPTV and WFLX in the area there. Uh, Max, I, I want to talk about this matchup because this is, to me, the most exciting matchup going into Sunday Night Football. And I think fans who are not a fan of either team, I think if you're just a general football fan, you're looking just to get some good football action, you're going to have a lot of fun watching Marcus Peters go up against Antonio Brown. And, and I'll say this right now, I think Roethlisberger to Brown, that's the best QB to wide receiver connection in the NFL. In terms of best QB to pass catcher connection, I would have to give that to Tom Brady and Rob Gronkowski, and that's, of course, when they're playing. Uh, Gronkowski missed a couple of games this year due to injury, and Tom Brady uh, still uh, serving his four-game suspension. But uh, you could say 1A goes to Brady and Gronkowski, and then 1B goes to Roethlisberger and Brown. Uh, These two are just impossible to stop. I mean, they'll have a couple bad games every now and then. Looking at last week in that blowout loss against the Eagles, and I get it, you abandoned the... You abandon the uh, running game, so you have to go pass heavy. But still, uh, 12 catches for 140 yards. I, I mean, this guy's a beast. It just shows you he comes to play every single game. Uh, how, how do you see this playing out? Because even though Marcus Peters, he allows a lot of yards, he still comes up with a lot of interceptions to win each of the last two games for him. So it's hard for me to see how this could play out. I still think Peters comes up with a pick in this game, even though the, I just said this is the best QB at a wide receiver connection, but I still think Antonio Brown could do some damage, too. Oh, for sure. I think you know, I think when you watch Antonio Brown play, you know that you know he's going to get his. He's going to get his catches. He's going to get his receiving yards, no matter what the situation is. Uh, you know, Ben Roethlisberger was asked about Marcus Peters, and he called him a phenomenal talent, and as he is. He has such creative instincts. Uh, I know the Chiefs kind of play his zone defense as well, so that, that allows him to kind of sit back and kind of, you know, peer in the backfield to see what the quarterback's eyes are doing, and he, that allows him to break on the ball a lot faster than, than playing in a man uh, defense. You know, even Ben kind of compared him to guys like Josh Norman, or Patrick Peterson and, and the instincts that they have. And, you know, playing zone defenses, you know, has, has its ups and downs. I mean, you know, zone, uh, you know, if Antonio Brown runs a crossing, you know, route across the middle, you know, that could do some damage. But if you play, you know, him up man and you try to, you know, push him off the line of scrimmage and that doesn't go well, you know, he could, he could you know, run right by you. So I think Antonio Brown, Marcus Peters is a very interesting matchup and I think that one key question is uh, that's kind of you know brought up with Josh Norman the first game against the Redskins is is Marcus Peters going to follow Antonio Brown the entire game? Uh, you know why not have your best cornerback on you know the best receiver? And that is yet to be obviously we won't know that until Sunday. But I think that's the key matchup it is you know can Antonio Brown and Ben Roethlisberger kind of exploit playing a zone defense and see how creative they can be. And I agree if, if, if you know, they kind of get, you know, lack, lackadaisical on, on that zone defense, I think Marcus Peters, you know, can surprise people and come up with, with an interception and, you know, with the speed that he, he's got, he can easily take it to the house for six. Yeah, in pro football focus, I don't know if you have, uh, if you, if you're able to follow the grades with an account on pro football focus, but last year he was one of the, 
not necessarily the worst, but for a starting quarterback who, who co-led the NFL in interceptions, Marcus Peters didn't have a very high grade, and that was because he allowed a lot of yards. In fact, I think he allowed the most touchdowns and yards in the NFL last year. Uh, but this year, uh, he's allowed a lot of yards, but I think only one touchdown this entire season, uh, and, and it's good to see him. Uh, Pro Football Focus has him graded as the seventh best cornerback in the NFL. Now, a lot of Chiefs fans may hate that grade. Why not? Why isn't he number one? I think that has to do with the fact that he still allows a lot of yards. But uh, those those four interceptions in the last two games for the Chiefs that's been huge. And uh, like I said, I think this is going to be a very entertaining matchup. Hopefully, a clean one. Hopefully, it's not like. Odell Beckham Jr. and Josh Norman, I mean, those two are great at their positions, but you want a clean, clean fight between these two guys, and you know it's going to be a hard fight between these two. Uh, For me, it's just a matter of double-teaming Antonio Brown. You want a guy like Eric Berry uh, ready in the backfield to to come away uh, with a pick and maybe help help him out. The Chiefs had a pair of tip interceptions so you know the tip drill, tip drill they've been practicing that quite a lot but you've, you've got to consider covering a guy uh double covering a guy like Antonio Brown but that leads me to my next question it does that I mean that definitely allows someone else to get wide open I mean who who else on this Steelers team that we might be underestimating could come through if Antonio Brown is heavily covered well, there's a couple guys that that have, you know stand out. Obviously, you can go to Marcus Wheaton, who who you know made his season debut last week against the Eagles, coming off a shoulder injury. Uh, he didn't look well, uh, dropped a few passes, but I feel like you know that's kind of you know just shaking off the rust of coming back a little late late into the season. So you can obviously look at look at him, or you can look at Sammy Coates, uh, one guy that's kind of really you know stepped up in the in the you know absence of Martavis Bryant. Uh, big lanky guy can go up and get the ball, but he's also pretty fast as well. You know, we've seen him outrun defenders for 50, 60 yard gains in the pass, passing game. So, uh, you know, I think if Marcus Wheaton or Sammy Coase is able to get free, you know, I think, I think those two are the key guys to look at it. And, you know, if he wasn't, you know, if he was expected to play, I'd also go with Eli Rogers, the rookie, uh, out of the draft this year. But, uh, again, he, he doesn't look, you know, like he's going to play, so I think I think the two guys to keep on is Sammy Coates and, and uh, Marcus Wheaton, and also don't forget, you know, you got Jesse James at tight end who's filling in nicely. You know, obviously Heath Miller, uh, legendary tight end for the Steelers, retired, so you know, also you know, becoming that security blanket for Ben Roethlisberger as well. All right, last question I want to ask you before we get into our predictions. And by the way, you can follow Max on Twitter at MadMax1063. Uh, and it's about Todd Haley. I think that's one of the things that comes to my mind every time the Chiefs and Steelers play. Todd Haley, of course, was hired in 2009 as the head coach of the Chiefs. And Scott Pioli came in and a lot of people thought that, oh, okay, here comes the Patriot way. The Chiefs are about to... Uh, get a, a something strong, something special going, and they did in 2010 when they had Charlie Weiss and Romeo Cornell as coordinators, and things looked really good. I, I mean, there seemed to be a bright future, but of course, that went down crashing one year after they won the AFC West. Uh, he was fired with three games left to go in 2011, and the Chiefs almost made the playoffs that year, which was crazy. But uh, I remember the first time the Chiefs and Steelers played with. Todd Haley as the uh, offensive coordinator for the Steelers. And I think he was quoted saying that he wants to run up the scoreboard against the Chiefs, which which is funny because that never happened. That ended up going into overtime. But 
I, I, I don't know how much animosity there still is from his time here in Kansas City because, there, I mean, there's a lot. There, there's that famous footage of him when he was the offensive coordinator of the of the Cardinals, and he went off on Anquan Bolden over a, over a route miscommunication, uh, and he did, he had a lot of jawing back and forth with coaches, with players. There were even offensive assistants who were arguing on the sidelines for the Chiefs under Todd Haley. I, obviously, he's not in that position of power anymore. So I'm kind of curious: what is the point of view by uh, of Steelers fans uh, of Todd Haley, and what do you think of him? Well, I think I think the perception of Steelers fans is as long as Todd Haley gets the job done, uh, they don't really have a problem with him. And you kind of brought it up, you know, about him kind of going off on, on offensive players. You remember when the Steelers first brought Todd Haley in? Ben Roethlisberger did not like him. He did not like him at all. Uh, ben, you know, thought this was his offense. You know, there's really no need to kind of listen to what you know Todd Haley had, you know, had, had to plan or what you know, in what he had in store. So there was a lot of tension there. But I think over the years, they've kind of, you know, really grown together. I think Todd Haley understands that, yes, this is Ben Roethlisberger's offense. Uh, but there are times where, you know, Todd Haley, you know, puts his input into a play and, and they go with it. I mean, it, it's been practically noted on record that whenever the Steelers enter the no-huddle offense, it, it's all Ben Roethlisberger. You know, Todd Haley's just, you know, standing there with a the headset uh, on his head. Um, but yeah, they, they've really gelled together nicely. I think they both kind of put their differences aside. They both just, you know, want the team to succeed. And, and I also think with Todd Haley, he's not in that, like you said, he's not, you know, in the position of power anymore, but I also think he understands that, you know, Mike Tomlin doesn't play that game. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't, you know, let coaches publicly criticize their players. Uh, you know, he's not going to let Todd Haley criticize management or, or other coaches. And I, you know, I think that's you know big ownership, uh, big due to ownership and kind of Mike Tomlin and how things are run the Steelers' way. And I mean, me personally, I, 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 with the talent that he has, and you know, their goal is to put up thirty points every week. I mean, they've only done it once this year, but hey, I mean, you can't control everything. But I, I really like what Todd Haley's done. You know, he he opens up options for for Le'Veon Bell. Uh, you know, whenever, you know, Mark Davis Bryant is not smoking weed and eligible to play, you know, he, he opens <laughs> up ways for Mark Davis Bryant to, to be open and make him plays. And, and, you know, obviously Antonio Brown gets his, his share of the wealth as well. So, uh, as me personally, I, I love him as an offensive coordinator just because, you know, he, he, he really knows how to, you know, make this offense more than one-dimensional with Le'Veon Bell and Antonio Brown, and, and, and you see it, you know, all these different weapons. Again, Marcus Sweet, Jesse James, uh, Sammy Coates, Eli Rogers when he's healthy. He knows how to get these playmakers the ball, and, and, and you know, again, Ben Roethlisberger and, and he have gelled well, and I think that's made for a good relationship with him in, uh, here in Pittsburgh. Just out of curiosity, I know you've talked to Ben Roethlisberger before, but have you ever talked to Mike Mike Tomlin? I have not. I have not had the pleasure of talking to Mike T. Although I do want to have a beer with him. Though. <laughs> See, I I I, uh, I went to uh, school with someone at the University of Kansas who interned uh, for the newspaper in Pittsburgh. I believe it's it's the Pittsburgh Gazette. Is that correct? Okay, he entered. Oh, Pittsburgh Post Gazette. Thank you. I, he interned there and. Uh, he got the opportunity to do a one-on-one exclusive with Mike Tomlin, 
And I, I don't remember the story completely, but I guess he felt intimidated. I guess Tomlin had a bad practice or a bad day, and he was just really pissed off and actually went off on uh, on the intern, my, the classmate who I'm referring to. So, so I'm, I'm, I was going to ask if anything like that has ever happened to you, but uh, Tomlin's kind of known to be that, uh, I guess, that Satan kind of guy. I mean, he was that, that incident where he tried to trip one of the uh, kick returners and then got a hefty fine for that. I mean, he's there. There's been more negative about him than positive, at least from our standpoint, outside of Steelers fan standpoint. Yeah, I mean, and, that, and you know, listen, kind of listening to that story, it actually kind of surprises me because you know, listening you know to some post game, especially against the Eagles, uh, you know, he, obviously you can tell he's frustrated by you know the team's performance, but it seems like he handles the media well. So I mean. When you, when you throw a story like that, that, that kind of, you know, surprises me just because, you know, how well-mannered he seems. Like, I, like there have been times where you see him on, on the sidelines kind of, you know, getting into the offensive line or, or defensive line about, you know, as Bill Belichick would say, just doing your job. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I kind of going, you know, uh, at a public media member like that, it kind of surprised me because I haven't heard anything like that. Well, I mean, I, I guess I guess in his defense, you know, maybe an intern – I had asked a bad question before. Listen, I mean, working with the Kansas City Star before, I mean, there have been interns who I have worked with who have asked bad questions. Uh, I mean, you never know. That could have been the case. I mean, he might have asked, oh, uh, do you think you'll win the Super Bowl or something? You never know. Right, yeah, I mean, you, I mean, these things, I mean, <laughs> there will be a chance we'll never understand, like, what actually happened in that, so... Yeah, yeah, I mean, I was uh, I was seventeen when I first started actually interviewing Chiefs players, and I've uh, I've definitely had my uh, share of asking really bad questions. Actually, I'll tell you a funny story right now. Uh, when Glenn Dorsey uh, was drafted by the Chiefs, uh, it was the last preseason game uh, that year in two thousand eight, and uh, I walked up to him. And uh, looking back, I mean, this is obviously a stupid question, but uh, I I just said, hey, with the preseason over with. Uh, uh, what's the biggest thing you learned? And he kind of laughed at me. And then uh, one of his other rookie teammates, he heard the question, and they start looking at each other and start laughing. And right away, I, I think to myself, I'm like, okay, I, I'm I'm the moron now. I just asked a stupid question. So I've had my fair share of those. Yeah, I mean, it, it happens to the best of us. You know, you kind of go through your head like, hey, you know, this would be a good question to ask. And, and I'm not going to lie, it's happened to me once or twice as well. And, you know, you kind of replay the question in your head and be like, what the heck did I just ask this question for? But, uh, you know, it's, it's good to, you know, when, when dealing with athletes of that sort that they, you know, can kind of just laugh it off and, and kind of go with it. But, yeah, you know, it, it happens to the best of us, man. Don't feel bad. His answer was uh, he put, he pulled a Dwayne Johnson and said, uh, bring it every play. He brings it every play. So, uh, for whatever that's worth, uh, he did not end up in Kansas City very long, and he hasn't had the greatest career out there. But yeah, kind of. A, I, I look back at that. I think that's one of the funnier, dumb questions uh, I've definitely asked in the past. Uh, but uh, <laughs> I've had my fair share of those. I think everyone, even uh, even the top beat writers, like the lead beat writer for the big newspaper in town, even those guys, maybe they don't ask a bad question, but the head coach or the player tries to make it seem like it was the worst question in the world, which is always just funny to see the uh, back and forth between some uh, coaches and uh, reporters. All right, Max, let's get into it. Let's uh, wrap this thing up. I want to hear your prediction. Uh, like I said, you're the good luck charm, and uh, we both uh, we both predicted a loss last year, which translated into uh, 11 straight wins for the Chiefs. So hopefully that's the case this time around. Uh, how do you see this ha- playing out on Sunday Night Football? 
Well, you got Sunday night football. It's at Heinz Field, so obviously it's going to be a jacked-up atmosphere. You have Le'Veon Bell making his return. I think it's it's going to be tough. It's going to be a close game. It's going to be closer than people expect. I'm going to go 28-24 Steelers here. I think the Chiefs are going to be able to keep pace just because there's so many injuries on that defense. Uh, again, the big one, Ryan Chazier. So I think Travis Kelsey can have a, have a you know monster game here. Uh, but I think Le'Veon Bell, with him returning to the lineup, uh, I, I expect him to get 20, 25 carries and maybe about five or six receptions out of uh, out of the backfield. So I think Le'Veon Bell is going to be the difference. Uh, 28-24 Steelers here. All right, I'm going to go the other way. I'm, I'm going to actually pick the Chiefs. And before the season, if you asked me this, I actually had the Chiefs losing this in a blowout game. I, I, I just felt like Antonio Brown would have ripped apart Marcus Peters. But knowing what I know now about Marcus Peters, I still think he's got a little bit left to prove against a top-notch guy. We'll see how that goes. But I think uh, I think you'll see Marcus Peters make some plays, and you'll see Antonio Brown make some plays. So I think it's going to even out. Uh, at the end of the day, I think it just comes down to – Kansas City's offensive line trying to hold off Pittsburgh's pass rush, which or, or lack thereof. Like I said, just one sack all year for the Steelers, and I think that could give Alex Smith, uh, who we haven't really talked about much, an opportunity to uh, make some plays with uh, his speedsters. There are a lot of those on offense with Tyreek Hill, uh, Jeremy Macklin, uh, Albert Wilson, which I, I know you had an opportunity to talk to Albert Wilson this offseason as well. So I, I think Alex Smith, and you mentioned Travis Kelsey too, I think he's going to be able to take advantage of those. If Jamal Charles is available, I think that's going to help even more. I don't think it's going to be high scoring because the Chiefs haven't really been a high scoring team offensively. Only 10 points last week despite eight turnovers against the New York Jets. So I think the Chiefs can uh, steal one and uh, return to Kansas City with a win and improve to 3-1. and one. I say the Chiefs win that one. I'll go 17-16. I think it's going to be a narrow victory. Uh, I'll let you respond to that. What do you think? I like it, man. No, I, I, I totally understand uh, where you're getting at. I mean, I have concerns about the, uh, the Steelers' pass, rushers, pass rush as well. And, uh, yeah, I mean, like you brought it up before, I was I, you know talking with uh, Albert Wilson uh, really nice guy. I'm actually surprised he hasn't been more involved in the offense, uh, you know, going along here. But, you know, again, some a depleted secondary here. You know, maybe this could be the uh, the breakout game for him as well. All right, Max, a lot of fun talking to you. As always, you can follow Max on Twitter at MadMax1063. Uh, if you're listen, if you're a Chiefs fan and you're in the Florida, Miami area, wherever you might be, uh, in, in the state of Florida, uh, do check him out on ESPN 106.3 and also his work on TV at WPTV and WFL, WFLX, kind of a tongue twister there, uh, over in the areas. And again, follow him on Twitter at MadMax1063. Uh, Max, a lot of fun talking football with you. I love talking to you. And uh, hopefully we can do it again down the road. As always, my friend, I wish the, uh, the Steelers and Chiefs played every year. I, uh, I enjoy being on <laughs> and I always... Uh, I always appreciate the uh, the thought of you having me on, man. I appreciate it. All right, that's Max Shepman. Thanks a lot for coming on, Max. He Again, follow him on Twitter at MadMax1063. Let's go around the NFL. All right, I think the most exciting thing about sports, for me at least, is the unexpected. We have our predictions, we have our expectations, and 
when the opposite happens in the NFL, the NBA, whatever sport you love, you you follow closely, you notice the opposite happens, uh, and a lot of people's expectations uh, don't don't happen. They don't exceed expectations. Look at the Patriots, three and zero. The Ravens, three and zero. Broncos, Eagles, Vikings. I did not anticipate those five teams being the five unbeaten teams up to this point. The Patriots, let's just be honest, I don't know what people's expectations were with Tom Brady, or without Tom Brady, I should say, and without Rob Gronkowski for a couple of games due to his injury. Look, we know Bill Belichick is still there, but he is finding ways to win, even with Jimmy Garoppolo injured now. The backup of the backup is playing, and the Patriots are still winning football games. The Ravens, a team decimated with injuries last year, they've got uh, the best defense in the NFL in terms of scoring allowed with just 44 points so far. Not a very good uh, offensive team, only four touchdowns. That's the second fewest in the conference, but they're finding ways to win football games, and that's all that matters at the end of the day. The Denver Broncos, a lot of people thought that some of the key absences on defense, and plus with a big question mark under center and Trevor Simeon, though he's not playing great, you're winning football games with him. And until something goes wrong with Trevor Simeon uh, for a couple games, I don't think you have a reason to want to change quarterbacks if you're the Denver Broncos. Going to the NFC, the Eagles, the, the drama that the Eagles dealt with, with Sam Bradford at the time and you know, who was going to be the quarterback? Was it going to be Chase Daniel or Carson Wentz? And is Doug Peterson really the guy? <laughs> no one, I mean, that's all a long distant memory. The Eagles are probably the best 3 0 football team right now and could be on base to win their first ever Super Bowl. And the last team, the Minnesota Vikings, of course, uh, missing Adrian Peterson. I talked about this last week with how he was apparently going to play with that injury that he had been dealing with. There's just no way someone could do that with a with a torn meniscus. Come on. I know it, AP's a tough dude. He really is. But with, with that kind of injury, man, even I've dealt with it. It's not easy. But even without AP, they're finding w- ways to win football games. I want to talk about Josh Gordon for a moment, who uh, is entering a rehab facility, taking some time off uh, w- from football. It's unfortunate that he... That He's at this point, but it's good he's trying to find a way to to rebound because this is a guy who's very talented. I hate to see guys with a lot of talent have their athleticism go to waste. Look at Larry Johnson. In my opinion, I think Larry Johnson could, could be or could have been the best running back in franchise history. He just didn't want it. The passion just was not there for some reason. It was there for a little bit, and then all this drama happened in the locker room, on the field, everywhere. And he's no longer in the NFL. And that's on him. Josh Gordon doesn't want to follow that same path as Larry Johnson. So hopefully he can come back to the game of football. And it'd be cool to see him play. I've always wanted to see Josh Gordon in Kansas City. I think he's a tremendous wide receiver. Probably the best in the NFL when he's playing. Ever since Andy Reid got here, I've kind of wondered what it would be like if Josh Gordon played for the Chiefs with Andy Reid as the head coach. Because we've seen Andy Reid do this before. Let's not remember the two players who've won Comeback Player of the Year under Andy Reid despite a troubled pass. Guys like Mike Vick, Marcus Peters. Maybe Tyreek Hill could could rebound in his life with everything he's dealt with. I think it'd be nice to see, but it doesn't appear to be the case. 
for the Chiefs. All right, let's go out of bounds. All right, uh, by the time you're listening to this podcast, uh, you might uh, be listening while the Royals are playing their second to last game or their last game or, or their season could be over. Uh, look, uh, it's a tough season. And I know the expectation is always high uh, because they went to the World Series for two years in a row. So you expect them to be back in the playoffs at the very least. But look, man. They still did very well with everything they had to deal with. Uh, the injuries, uh, you lost your all-star third baseman, your all-star center fielder uh, was consistently hurt. Uh, Alex Gordon, he got off to a rocky start and had his injury. So uh, this was a tough year for the Royals, man. And I don't think there's anything to hang your head about. Uh, I mean, uh, Friday was the two-year anniversary of the wildcard game. You think about where this team was two years and one month ago let, let's just be honest man and, and I hear all these oh I was a Royals fan before 2014 it's like these people want some sort of gold medal for their longtime patronage uh, listen man let's just say it like it is this team just was not good for so long and even though 2003 was not or pardon me uh, 2013 was not a bad year 2003 actually wasn't a bad year either but even though 2013 wasn't a bad year, I think because the team just didn't make the playoffs, fans weren't really tuned in because this this town was starving for a championship, for something. And when you saw the Royals do what they did in the postseason in 2014, it was special, man. That wild card game and then going undefeated into the postseason or probably into the World Series, that's pretty special. And... Look, obviously the 2015 season was better because you won. You, they got the job done in 2015. But looks to me, 2014 was still more special. Not better, but more special to this town because after 29 years of just bad baseball, you made up for it by going undefeated against all the teams in the American League in the playoffs. And you go into the World Series as the first team to go 8-0 in the, in the postseason. And then, of course, the Royals fought back uh, with a fire under their tail and won the World Series. You can't fault the Royals for what they dealt with this year. And they'll be back next year, I'm confident. I, I think there's a lot to be optimistic about with the pitching. I know there's some consistency issues with your Donald Ventura and Edison Volquez. Uh, I mean, those remain to be unseen how they'll do in 2017 but I think the future's bright with Danny Duffy Vargas uh you know your bullpen I know that this bullpen 2014 statistically that bullpen was dominant uh hopefully Soria can rebound hopefully Kelvin Herrera can rebound he definitely had a rough rougher year than the stats show so uh listen like I said as a Royals fan uh, nothing to be upset about uh this was still an exciting season too some exciting things did happen this year despite not making the playoffs Real quickly, you guys know I'm a huge UFC fan, and Dana White said that, he's the president of the UFC, said that Conor McGregor, who is the featherweight champion, has to go back to 145 pounds, go back to that division, and defend his featherweight title after fighting Nate Diaz twice at 170, and what happens? 
he gives up he, he ends up giving Conor McGregor a match at 155 pounds for the lightweight title because McGregor wants to be the first ever uh, two uh, well not two time champion but uh, two two championship belt holder in the UFC the UFC's never had that before now there are reports that he might have to give up one of his titles if he wins that lightweight title. It's obviously a setup for the Diaz-McGregor 3 because they want that match to be for a championship. Listen, man, uh, Dana White's doing the right thing. This is the best business move at UFC 205 in New York City. The problem is he opened his mouth saying, oh, hey, Jose Aldo's going to get his rematch. But look, Conor McGregor has a division on hold. I get he's decimated that division, but come on. Uh, as a champion, you're obligated to go defend it. You have to. You can't just sit there, be the champ, and not have to defend your own title. That's ludicrous. So that's what that's what bugs me, especially when Dana White said, hey, look, he's going to go back and defend the title when he ends up getting a title shot at another division. And by the way, I, I just don't know what to believe from Dana White anymore. He keeps saying that Ronda Rousey, who, who's been absent forever just because she lost one fight, uh, Ronda Rousey wants to fight Chris Cyborg. I don't even know if I believe that anymore. I don't know if I believe that Conor McGregor will ever defend his featherweight title. Especially if he wins a lightweight title. He's probably going to stick around and try to destroy the rest of that division. And then guess who he's going to fight? Nate Diaz to build that big money card. Look, I'm all about the big business decision, but don't make a decision and then say, and then do the complete opposite. That's where Dana White is under fire and takes a lot of criticism for it. All right, time to throw my penalty flags. Alright, this is a penalty flag to anyone who thinks that people who talk about sports on the radio or columnists uh, who write about sports, who, who think that uh, they, they know nothing and that they uh, when they criticize, they don't know anything. And more specifically, I'm referring to Brock Osweiler, uh, the, the situation there where uh, he was quoted saying that he thinks his critics are hilarious. Listen, man, uh, people jumped on me for... Uh, my prediction of Marcus Peters this year, which again, I've I've gladly come on here and talked about me being wrong about that. As you guys know, I, I have no problem admitting to things like that. But uh, listen, for people who just want to criticize and say that the media knows nothing, all, all, all this stuff, you know what? I challenge you guys to look at all the football games that are coming up and predict every single game. Because guess what? You're not going to get... All of your predictions correct. You're just not. No one's going to have all their predictions correct. It's funny when, if, uh, let's say Bill Cowher on uh, the NFL Today on CBS, if he if he picks the Steelers, and of course, being a former Steeler, he, he's, a t- he's a little bit biased. Tony Gonzalez is pretty biased towards the Chiefs and towards tight ends. Uh, so, I mean, we just have these in these former uh, athletes and coaches who are biased towards the, the teams that they uh, got an opportunity with. But let's just say Bill Cowher got, predicted that the Steelers uh, will win this week over the Chiefs. And if the Chiefs win, 
Guess what? There are going to be a lot of Chiefs fans who say, oh, Bill Cowher knows nothing. He doesn't deserve to be on the set. People get so uptight if someone has, first of all, a prediction that's against their team. And on top of that, once they are wrong, there's always this whole, oh, man, they were wrong. And uh, all sorts of negativity. Just relax. It's a prediction. I think fans get so sensitive over a prediction. As fans, we have our prediction. Listen, and here's what I hate. When when I, when I you make a prediction and fans say, oh, well, w- wait and see. We'll see at the end of the season. So what? You don't want me to make a prediction until week 16? You want me to say who I think will make the playoffs after week 17? No, I'm going to make my predictions before week one because if we make them in week eight, it's not as impressive because you want to try to be right, don't you? I mean, that's the reason why we make predictions. <laughs> oh boy! I, I just just relax. You know, I, I, here's a good example: Jack Harry, who a lot of fans didn't like in Kansas City. Uh, I, I was in a bit. I mean, see, he, he was always biased towards KU basketball or against KU basketball, I should say. And listen, I just never listened to the guy much. I really didn't. And for those who did and didn't like him, why? I'm not a big fan of Shannon Sharp. Uh, I'm, I'm not a big fan of Skip Bayless. Hey, guess what? I don't listen to those guys. If they have like heavily funny tweets excessively predicting against someone, okay, that's different. There Obviously, there's something personal there when people do that. Don't get, don't get, don't, don't get too caught up in it. Don't worry about what other people say. I mean, just keep in mind it's just a prediction. Some are right, some are wrong. If you were to do the same thing, you would not have every single game correct in the NFL. I know I don't. That'll do it for this edition of the Chiefs Zone Podcast. I'm Farzee Vasugian. Big thank you to Max Shepman who joined us here on the Chiefs Zone Podcast. He had a great Steelers podcast uh, over on iTunes and on the sportsstuff.com. Did a great job with it. And he's doing big things in the uh, South Florida area. So happy to have him along. And uh, hopefully we can talk to him again down the road. Uh, we may or may not uh, talk to him next week for the recap. But uh, hopefully the Chiefs and Steelers play again. Uh, just so I can uh, have a reason to bring him back on because he is a lot of fun to talk to. Uh, did it with him last year, did it again this year. So happy to do that. And big thanks to Max for coming on the podcast. Be sure you like my Facebook page, facebook.com slash sportscaster Farzine or search face or Farzine Vesugian on Facebook. Also follow me on Twitter at Farzine21. Also send me a Snapchat, Farzine V, F-A-R-Z-I-N-V. And I'll send you guys a video response on Snapchat. Big thank you to to you guys for listening to the Chiefs on Podcast. Please subscribe on iTunes. I think the Chiefs pull it out in a narrow win here. I I, I think they'll get the job done and uh, improve to 3-1 before the bye week. You you just never want to lose in the NFL. Obviously, not many teams can go 16-0. It's only happened once, but uh, listen, uh, to go one week, thinking about that loss is one thing. To go two weeks... Into the bye week and then going to Oakland thinking about that last loss, especially on primetime football, you, you never want that. So hopefully the Chiefs can make some adjustments with their offense and find a way to score more points. I, I don't know if they can do that much, but I think they can do enough uh, defensively to hold their ground and keep the Steelers quiet. Thank you again for listening to the Chiefs on Podcast. I am Farzine Vesugian. Enjoy the game this weekend. I'll talk to you guys next week.